Welcome to the Too Blessed to Be Stressed podcast, hosted by me, Carolina Sopran. I'm a holistic health and nutrition coach, a Pilates instructor with a background in science, and a master's in medical radiations. I'm your stress buster chick, chatting all things stress, helping you, the modern woman, create more balance, calmness, and health in life. I used to be just like you, running on adrenaline, stressed 24-7, and a professional perfectionist in all aspects of life. Over the last couple of months, I have wanted to create a platform for stressed, stuck, and professional women just like you, empowering and nurturing you to live your most balanced life. I have learned and come up with some amazing tools to help bring more zen into your everyday life. Enjoy. Hello, darlings, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 22 of the Too Blessed to Be Stressed podcast. I'm super excited about today's episode because I have a beautiful guest on the podcast. Suzanne Kohlberg is an international mindset coach who transforms bodies and minds and is the author of The Beginning is Shit, an unapologetic weight loss memoir. Suzanne believes that women often overconsume food, work, or social media because they give too much to help others. She helps women deal with negative patterns of behavior, helps them build confidence, and learn to say no to others so that they can say yes to themselves. In this episode, Suzanne and I discuss her personal weight loss journey, how women can start to shift their mindset in order to lose weight how women can start putting themselves first in life, and how they can better create boundaries in their life. I'm so excited to share Suzanne with you. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And remember, life is for living, not stressing. You are too blessed to be stressed. Hello, Suzanne, and welcome to the Too Blessed to be Stressed podcast. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Carolina. So I want to start off the podcast by, I guess, learning a little bit more about you, even though we've had conversations outside of podcasts. I would love for you to share with the audience who you are, what you do, and how you started your business. Certainly. It's so funny. I always laugh when I get asked this question because the introvert in me kind of dies inside. It reminds me of school. <laughs> get up and introduce yourself. I'm like, no. <laughs> so, I'm Suzanne Kohlberg. I... I am the accidental entrepreneur. I actually worked as a government job for many, many, many years. And I, when I had my second child, I went back to work between children. But when I had my second child, I actually, my office was over an hour from where I lived. And when you have one child and you drop them at daycare, if you need them picked up, a friend can usually help you out. Like one child car seat's not that hard. But once you have two and you're that far away, life gets really, really challenging. So I thought, oh, okay, I will um, I'll take some time off work. And that lasted six months until I was bored. <laughs> so I originally started as a VA, um, helping people with client care. I'm not very a tech person. In, in, during this time, I, ha- I was releasing a significant amount of weight. So 78 kilograms, so like an entire person. And I was documenting it on Facebook and some people reached out to me and said, hey, can I work with you? And I was like, oh, it hadn't occurred to me. And I was like, sure. So I went and studied a coach certification because I had a coach myself. I still do to this day. 
I believe a coach without a coach is like a doctor without a doctor. And I, yeah, started my coaching business that way. And isn't it amazing? I find, and it's been a little bit the same with me with my journey. Most coaches, regardless of you know what they do, they end up coaching people in something that they went through. And I think it's just so incredible because not only do you have that experience and you've gone through it, you know how the client feels. And I feel like that makes it so much more better and beneficial for the client as well. A hundred percent. And so what is the one thing that you do often to help manage your stress levels? I was going to say one of two things, the, the easy come to hand in the moment thing, like when I'm feeling stressed and I'm conscious of it, is walking, getting outside, fresh air. It doesn't have to be fast paced. It doesn't have to be far, but just I find getting my energy moving. So I'm not sitting in that thinking, overthinking, disaster planning, (laughs) doom scrolling kind of thing that we all get into. It's like put your earbuds in, go out for a walk, listen to some music, listen to a podcast, but just get that energy moving so you're not sitting in in the like overwhelm. And then the other thing is journaling. And it's funny because when I most need to journal is when I least feel like doing it, hence the walking's in the moment where I'm feeling like actively stressed. Um, and journaling is something I try to do as a practice. I'm, perf- I'm not perfect. They say you teach what you most need to know. But people ask me a lot about journaling and it's like, well, you have a physical shower every day to wash your physical body. Well, hopefully you do. <laughs> Sometimes yes, not. Yeah. But, and journaling is kind of like that, but for my mind. Like all, and people ask me like, what if someone reads it or, and I'm like, do you have a shower and put a plug in and keep the dirty water? And they look at me horrified. And I'm like, you don't need to keep the journal pages. It's not to read back. It's not for anything else. It's just getting out of my head, all the stuff that I'd never say out loud um, and onto the paper and then shredded. Or I use a remarkable now, like a tablet thing. I can just wipe it and it's just gone. And to me, it's like, you know, the, the mental shower that I need to clean up all my Dirty thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I actually call that a brain dump with my clients and I say the same thing. It's like allocate those five to ten minutes and just free flow. It doesn't matter what you write, just get everything out of your head onto paper. And, again, you don't have to read it, but you feel so much better for it after you've done it. Mm, Totally, 100%. So I want to go back to the start and I want to start with your weight loss journey. What did that look like for you? And I guess what triggered it off for you? It it sounds like an easy question, but it's actually a complicated one. So originally, originally, I was actually put on my first diet when I was four by my parents to fit in the flower girl dress for my oldest sister's wedding. So I had had the dress fitted. And like, I'd always seen my mom and my older sisters like suck their belly in. So when the dressmaker was measuring me up, I sucked my belly in. I thought that's what you did. (laughs) So obviously when the dress came, it didn't go anywhere near me. Now, bless my mom. Like, you know, there's the power of hindsight because I'd like to think if this kind of thing happened to my daughter, I'd be like, let's just pay the lady to get the dress let out. Yes. But it I don't know if it didn't occur to her or she just I don't not sure. So like I I don't mean any judge or shame towards her like she did the best she could with what she had. But she was like we're going on a diet. So all the you know like muesli bars and things went in the bin and it was like fruit and 
it was it we started on Monday, you know, the universal day to change your life. (laughs) (laughs) Good old Monday motivation. Invariably we'd quit by Friday and have a weekend binge fest and then start again the following Monday. And that was basically my life from four to when I moved out at 18. And it was, I didn't know any other way to be. And as a child, we learn by modeling and what we see firsthand and, you know, skim milk. Cause when I was young, low fat, like no, no fat skim was the thing. And it was full of sugar, but anyway, so that was the life I led for when I was growing up. And then when I moved out, I was really excited. This sounds embarrassing, but anyway, that I was old enough because I was 18 to join Weight Watchers. And as I reflect on that, I think, oh my God, imagine being like happy enough to join a a dieting program. Like it it gives me the heebie-jeebies, but it was the case. So I joined Weight Watchers and I lost 43 kilos. Um, And I actually, I was at uni at the time, um, studying to be a doctor. And in my fifth year of medical school, I left to become a personal trainer. So once again, accidental entrepreneur, hadn't made the connection till now. But anyway, I, um, I did personal training for a couple of years and then I moved into state, got married, moved into state, regained all that weight plus interest. And yeah, that was not a very nice time in my life. Started my government job then. And then I did a few things like I've lost count of the number of times in my life. I lost less than 20 kilos. It doesn't even register because up and down by 20 or so kilos was never like an uncommon thing for me. And then in 2011-12, I lost 60 kilos over an 18-month period and then I got pregnant. So I'd like to say I was mindful in my pregnancy, but I wasn't. I was like, let's just let loose. And I regained all that weight back, had my daughter, didn't lose any weight, got pregnant with my son. Like I didn't think you could get pregnant that big. And when I had my son, I had him by a cesarean because I ended up with a emergency cesarean with my daughter I was lying on the table and I could hear the doctors and nurses in the room and I don't know I assume they didn't think I could hear them like you know when you're in a little room and they put their um spinal in and they made some joke about what if they dropped me on the floor like they wouldn't be able to get me back up so in this Uh, moment like where I'm you know supposed to be happy and excited about being my baby I'm freaking out about like what happens if I end up on the floor and like I can't be this big and I need to lose weight and I'm like I can't do this again like for yeah 25 years at this stage I've either been dieting like detoxing or retoxing yeah. <laughs> there's been no in between and I was like I know something needs to change but I can't put myself mentally through that again because there's the physical toll of yo-yo dieting but there's the mental and emotional toll which often like when people say oh I'm so worried about I'm so worried about you like you know physically I'm like what about my mental health what about my emotional health but anyway I um I then started the the mindset journey that over the ensuing three years released 78 kilograms but it wasn't like I saw the light or I found the thing or everything was roses it was work but not the work as in that dieting was where you had to measure and force and, you know, willpower it. But it was more like, why am I eating when I'm not hungry? What am I really hungry for? What am I trying to solve with food? And, and, you know, what is this? And that was the journey that I then went on. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I think 
yeah, dieting is exhausting, isn't it? it? I think, you know, so many women at one stage or another diet. There's so much mental and I guess mental energy that goes into it, even though people look at you physically, regardless whether you're overweight or underweight, it's a whole mental thing behind it that is usually the cause of you either overeating or undereating. Mm. This episode is brought to you by the Stressless Journal. After spending most of my 20s chronically stressed, I came down with a mystery chronic illness at the end of 2015, which I'm sure was caused by my inability to manage stress and anxiety. While on my journey to better health, I discovered journaling, and it helped me so, so much in dealing with my stress and anxiety and in processing my feelings and emotions. And this is why I created the Stressless Journal. The Stressless Journal was created to encourage modern professional perfectionist women to take back control of their stress and to help them create more balance in their life. The journal provides women with tools to help them view stress in a different light and to better manage the impact that it has in their lives. It encourages women to take back control and help them live their lives in the present moment. If stress is something you struggle with on a daily basis, then this journal is for you. You can purchase your copy of the Stressless Journal by heading to the Knowing Her Wellness website shop, www.knowingherwellness.com.au forward slash shop forward slash. Now let's get back into today's episode. So what I guess would be your mindset shifts for women that want to shift their weight and want to start their weight loss journey? It's not going to be what people expect. Like I I have, it's interesting in an industry that's, I don't know how many billion dollars and everything you've kind of feel you've heard before. My, my premise and my invitation for people is what if you're overweight because you overgive? What if you give too much help to others and then as a result end up eating too much yourself? Because what tends to happen is we're smart people. We know what to do. It's not a matter of finding the right plan, the right program, like whether you call it points or calories or I don't know, like, you know, it's, it's all the same thing, just put in a different little bow. And I deliberately don't have a methodology in that for that very reason, because it's not like I found the secret source that 7 billion other people haven't found. <laughs> yes. But what happens is we make a plan, we, we, whether it be a meal plan or we've just done a big shop and we've got all the fresh stuff in the fridge and we're like, okay, yes. And then could you just, could you just pick up my script? Oh, the kids need something. Oh, the school's just rang. Oh, mum needs help. <laughs> you know? yeah. And you drop everything and your stuff is, your healthy stuff's wilting in the fridge and you grab cheap and cheerful on the way home to keep everybody happy because you've given so much that you've got no reserves left. Like you're burnt out, you're stressed. I love, you know, too blessed to be stressed. The podcast yes. is so stressed. <laughs> that then you overconsume. Whether that be eating or scrolling or working or apps, like you overconsume in some way and then you feel guilty, you're like, oh, no, here I am again. I've just got to find the right plan. And you're on Google looking at the, you know, the next thing that you haven't discovered before. So my invitation is how do you say no in a way that feels good? How, because when you say no to others, you're saying yes to yourself. 
Yes, I love that quote. It's such an amazing one. Yeah, sorry, I was just having some water. So it's about, and, and, and it's scary to say no. If someone says, hey, could you do this? Especially if you've always been the yes girl or the people pleaser or the martyr, there will initially be some pushback. I, I would not lie and say, oh, you'll be fine. More often than not, it will be fine. Like a lot of the things we do build up in our head, but there will be times when people are like, oh, you've changed. And I love to say now, like, I haven't changed. I've just become more me. So if someone says, hey, Suze, could you help me move house at 6 a.m. tomorrow? And people will laugh. But people, the things I used to do for people, (laughs) I got some stories. And, like, right now I would be like, no, actually, I could help you at 12 o'clock on Saturday, like, because, you know, that's when I'm available. But they might be like, well, the movers are coming. Their inability to be organised doesn't have to be my problem. (laughs) Yeah. But also, like, you, you might not actually be able to help with that. So if you're like, can you help me move house? Well, no, like I've got a bad back or something. But what I could do is take your kids so you've got your hands free. Yeah. Or I could bring over a meal, like a casserole or something so you don't have to cook. Or like, so when I say say no to others, so you say yes to yourself, I'm not saying be rude about it, but I'm just saying, like, weigh it up. What could you do? What's within the bounds? What do you actually want to do? Because, like, another example I give is, the schools invariably do those things where they sell chocolates, the the fun, the, the drive to make money, fundraiser. That's the word I'm after. Yes. Yeah. And they send them home and they're like $4 a packet and you end up with like 50 packets or whatever. And I buy them. Like I'm a foodie, I'm a chocoholic. So then I eat $200 worth of chocolate that I don't need and I feel sick and guilty. And the school makes, what, $50 off that because they only get a percentage. So now I'm like, here's your chocolates take them back. Here's a donation of $50 because I'm going to spend 200 anyway. (laughs) So it's like I can give in a way that feels good to me rather than be at the receiving end of someone else's thing that doesn't actually serve me. Yeah, absolutely. And so then a follow on question from that is how can women start putting themselves first and take better care of themselves? What are your tips around that? It's such a great question because so often I run a group program and we've just started our latest round and that's the exact question someone has asked and I I kind of smile because the thing is so often we don't know. We've we've just gotten into the routine of being mum, being wife, being person at work, being daughter, being whatever and someone's like who are you? I don't know. <laughs> Cue existential crisis. Um so it's just kind of like well what is it that you want? And allowing that space to dream and imagine and not shoot it down straight away. Like, it's funny, at the time we're recording this, it's coming up to Mother's Day. And my husband's like, what do you want for Mother's Day? I'm like, I want a week in the Maldives. And he's like, well, <laughs> that I could do. <laughs> so it's kind I love of like, that. allow yourself to dream. And then instead of shooting it down, going, okay, so I'm like, I can't have a week in the Maldives. But what I could have is a couple of hours, a bath bomb, a book, and him take the kids to the park. Like, it's funny, it does make me sound like the world's most terrible mother because, like, what I want for Mother's Day? To be alone. But I I want some me time. Like, that's what I want. And how can we set that up? So then when when they are home and they bring me the lovely gift that they've made and the breakfast in bed, there's that quality connection time where I'm like, this is present. But then I also get the time where I'm alone because there's quantity where we can be with the people we love all the time, but we're not actually connecting. We're on our phones or we're like yes. checked out mentally. So like for my suggestion for people would be like, what do you want? And then notice the thoughts of guilt or shame or shoulds that come up because we should on ourselves a lot. 
And then, like, how can we have that best of both worlds? Because, you know, Mother's Day will be amazing. I do want a couple of hours to myself, but I also am looking forward to the cards and the breakfast and the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's funny. I probably have found something similar now being a mum myself. I was very independent pre-having my daughter and I absolutely adore her and love her so much and I'm so grateful for her. But I think the one thing that I have found really hard is losing my independence a little bit. And I'm to say that because I think, you know, a lot of mums say, oh, everything is absolutely fine and nothing's changed. But, you know, you have this little person that relies on you and sometimes you do just want to sit there for 10 minutes and just not be needed, if that makes sense. So, Oh, that's so thing. And the thing is, I think I call these moments the emperor's new clothes because so many people have them but nobody says anything like oh it's amazing it's the best thing ever and it's and it like, is, I don't know, but, yeah you, it is but do you remember the store the, the, the emperor's new clothes like he was naked but nobody was allowed to say because if you said that he was naked it meant that you couldn't see the clothes like you weren't wise enough so everybody yes. pretended so it is it's awesome it's amazing and i love this quote by gretchen rubin she says the days are long but the years are short Because, you know, that when you are having a struggling time, it feels like it's never going to end. And then suddenly you're looking back at their little pictures or, you know, their clothes and you're like, I can't believe they were ever that small. (laughs) Like it went in the blink of an eye. So it's like not not downplaying that you're having a hard time and pretending it's amazing, but also not making that mean that you're a bad mother or that you should feel any other way. Absolutely. And I... It's funny, before having my daughter, I was I waited to have her because I wanted to be present because yes. how independent I was, I'm really driven. So I really wanted to wait for the perfect time to have her when I was ready, when I was present. I didn't want to have a child just for the point of having a child and be trying to focus on something different that, Yes. I, yeah, I completely agree with that. You have to be present and regardless whether you have a good child or maybe a not so good child, that presence, you will always remember being present with that child regardless of what's happening. And I think that's so important. And the things they remember too, like my children are six and eight now and we waited until we were a little bit older. My husband and I were together for over 10 years before we decided to have children and we had what we thought was everything sorted. And then just before my three-month scan, my husband got made redundant and we ended up moving into state and everything everything that could go wrong did go wrong. So, you know, you'll figure it out regardless because it, it happens but sometimes like we, I can't remember, there was one recently and there's, there, was a, there was a holiday or there was a moment that I've always carried a bit of guilt around because I wasn't in, I was a little bit snappish and I can't remember what happened, but my kids were talking about it the other day at dinner and that all they remembered was this trip we took somewhere and whatever. And I didn't say, hey, what about this? But like often we replay something over and over and over and to them, they don't even remember that. So I think yes. not saying like ignore them or whatever, but a lot of the guilt that we carry um we we downplay and make small all the really good positive things like oh I remember now it was Christmas and and we went away and we were going to buy this little tree as you do because we want to carry one with us and I couldn't find one anywhere and to cut a very long story short the only thing I could find and we ended up on Christmas Eve 
was this tiny little decoration in the shape of a Christmas tree. Like it'd be no bigger than like your pinky. So our Christmas tree that year is a little thing that I hung on a clothes horse that was in the Airbnb thing we were staying at. And then I got some, it was just, it was horrific. I was so embarrassed. And I was like, oh, my kids are going to be ruined for life. They loved it. Best Christmas ever. You remember that time we went and we had that little decoration? <laughs> I, oh, I know. Like... <laughs> Something that you felt guilty about. They absolutely loved. So, and the same is like, I'm not much of a baker at all. Cause I know if I bake, I'd eat. So I'm the ice cream cake mum. And I remember one year, my friend's like, you can't get your kids an ice cream cake. Like you have to make them one. She goes, I'll do it for you. And I'm like, oh, okay. So she made my daughter this frozen cake with stalactites of toffee and like, you name it. It would have taken her hours. And then my daughter saw it, said, thank you very much. And then she's like, so where's my ice cream cake? <laughs> I love it. Love it. <laughs> it's always the way. And my last question, I guess, to you is from your experience, how can women create better boundaries for themselves in all aspects of their life? It's, it's, it's going to sound kind of cliche and I can sense the nascent eye roll from people, but it's first being really, really kind to ourselves because often we do put ourselves last and we do think, oh, once, once the kids are at school or once they're in bed or once this, then, and there's just never enough time for us when we put ourselves at the back of the to-do list because the to-do list is never ending. So I'd really encourage people to be like really kind. And the other thing with boundaries is people can't uphold our boundaries if they don't know what they are. So often we can be really scared to say to people like, please don't call me after nine or um, can you message me before you come, like don't turn up unannounced or, or whatever it is. Like everyone's, first of all, everyone's boundaries are different. So like when I share my boundaries, some people be like, oh, who does she think she is or whatever, which is fine. Like and I think of stars and I remember that star I read about once who only wanted yellow M&Ms and I'm like, imagine just having someone sort that out. But anyway, I digress. It's understanding your boundaries are your own, like nobody else has to approve of them and and communicating them in a, in a loving and clear way. And then also you've got to uphold them yourself first. So if somebody yes. has like you know a boundary violation, it can be like, oh, I don't want to have this conversation. So we will put it off, but then we're going to have to pay the interest on that later. So if you're like, I can't have this conversation with my friend because I'm worried they won't like me anymore. So I'm going to shove it down, usually with food. You're going to have the interest later of not having had that conversation. So it's going to happen again. And then the interest of the food that you've eaten. And then that's what that I think a reason we end up being overeating is because it's so much easier to focus on our weight then to focus on what really is going on underneath. So when you find yes. yourself knee-deep in Tim Tams, instead of shaming yourself, go, oh, why? Why? And often it's because, you know, we, we avoided a difficult conversation and then ended up with that plus the interest. So it'd be like getting clear on what it is that you want and realising it's going to take time. Like if you've got no boundaries and um, you have people doing all sorts of things that you've just allowed we can tend to go from the other end from leaky boundaries to too rigid and then that also has its own sort of issues because if you're really really rigid then nothing can get in <laughs> so yeah, boundaries is porous allowing things in but also you know saying yes and no so it's realizing it's a process and it's funny because 
people get like <laughs> someone messaged me the other day and they had to have a difficult conversation. They're like, I channeled my inner Suzanne. I kept that voice note. I was like, I wouldn't believe it because I used to be such a people pleaser. I, you never would have channeled your inner Suzanne. But, you know, find somebody who you admire their boundaries and, um, you know, have a conversation with them or have a look at how you can start to implement it slowly and don't end up going to the too rigid side because it's going to be the same issue, uh, different side of the coin. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like we spoke about earlier, there's always emotion behind eating. So yes. what the emotion is, we need to deal with the emotion to prevent either under-eating or overeating because they are two extremes, aren't they, always? Yes. And the thing is it's kind of like it, it, it can be. It also, it's every... The thing with whatever we have is we're all different. So what drives it for one person can drive it for another and it, it can be different. So with um, eating, sometimes it can be like, well, like there's so much in my life I can't control. I can't control the pandemic. I can't control my sick kids, I can't, but I can control what I eat. So it can be either by restricting or by like this is the one place that I can let loose. So it can be something about that. It can just be like, I'd, this is the one area in my life, like food doesn't talk back, food doesn't have an opinion, food's always there. And it's exploring like what is it for you, the, the reason that you're, you're turning to food with kindness and compassion, the way if someone else came to you and said like, you know, if your child was having an eating issue, how would you speak to them? You wouldn't be like, well, you should just know better. Like we're so hardest on ourselves. And, you know, they, they say treat yourself like you would your best friend and people go, yeah, yeah, but like really do that. If someone came to you with the thing that you're struggling with, what would your response to them be? Yeah, and it would definitely, for me in particular, it would come from a place of kindness. <laughs> like Totally. You know, like, I mean, we forget also to treat ourselves how we treat others. So, you know, if we're a really empathetic person and we're really kind to people, we very often forget to give that kindness back to ourselves. Yes, to include ourselves in the kindness. So, like, it's funny because I, I work with overgivers and a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to be stingy. Like, I love being generous. And I'm like, there is distinction. Like, for me, I love being generous. But when it becomes overgiving, like it's finding what it is for you, for me, it's when I'm more invested in them getting the result than they are. Like if I'm like, hey, Carolina, I think you would love this book or whatever. And you're like, oh, cool. And then I was generous. I suggested, suggested it or I gave it to you a gift <laughs> and moved on. But if I'm like, have you read the book yet? What do you think? Have you read the book? Have you influenced it? Like that's going into the overgiving thing. So it's like working out where the difference lies as opposed to being like, oh, well, I can, I can, I I can't give people anything. You totally can. But what is it coming from the energy of um, being generous or the energy of like rescuing? Yes, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much for all your amazing knowledge. And where can women find you if they want to work with you? Certainly, they can come to my website, which is suzannekohlberg.com. And I'm sure you'll link it in the show notes. I have a very unusual surname, but I see so do you as well. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know, no, I always put stuff in the show notes. So by all means, I'll link everything in. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Have a beautiful, beautiful day. And again, thank you so much for all your knowledge. You're welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have loved and enjoyed today's podcast, then please share it with your friends and family. If you have any comments or would like to reach out, you can find me on Instagram at knowingherwellness. 
see you soon for the next episode of Too Blessed to be Stressed.